So for as long as I've been doing homilies, there have always been people asking me, Father, how come we never hear about this topic or that topic uh, at Mass? And usually the simple answer to that question is, because, you know, the homily is supposed to be tied to the readings. And let's face it, there are a lot of church doctrines that are not like really obviously conveniently connected to the Bible readings for us to talk about. And so if you've uh, been paying attention to the bulletin, uh, we have decided that once a month we're going to try and do more of a teaching or a catechetical homily to talk about some of those uh, doctrines of the church. And uh, so you'll have to let us know what you think, whether you get something out of these when we do them or not. But we wanted to start off today with asking the question, who can receive Holy Communion? And when should we receive Holy Communion? How often should we receive Holy Communion? So I'll probably try and break about twice in the course of uh, the, the homily here to take questions. So if you've got a question, keep it percolating there in the back of your mind, and we'll do our best to answer it. Now, we could begin, of course, by simply saying, who can't go to communion? Because the negative examples are always very specific and easy to deal with. But if we did that, we would miss the real uh, focus, the real focus of the church's teaching about the Eucharist. So where we need to begin is with Jesus, what he teaches us in St. John's Gospel. This is what he says. Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. This is what the Eucharist really is. It is the eternal life that Jesus offers us in his own body and blood. So who does the church say should receive the, the body and blood of Christ, the life that Jesus comes to offer us? As many people as possible, right? That is the short answer to that question. As many people as possible, we want to receive Holy Communion. So then uh, when or, or how often should we receive Holy Communion? Here's what the Catechism says. The Church warmly recommends that the faithful receive Holy Communion each time they participate in the celebration of the Eucharist. Here's what St. Thomas Aquinas, that great doctor of the Church, says. He says, if you experience a growth in your love for God as a result of daily reception of communion, and your reverence is not in any way diminished, you should communicate daily. Now, there's some good caveats there that St. Thomas throws in that we'll come back to, but what's his point? If possible, you should receive Holy Communion daily, right? That's what Jesus teaches us to pray in the Our Father today. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, there was a real influential heresy in the church uh, several hundred years ago called Jansenism. And uh, it said, well, you know, if you want to receive Holy Communion, you should really be free from all attachment to sin. You know, your heart should be like as perfect as possible, and you should be just on fire with the love of God in the Eucharist. Now, it sounds really good. sounds really pious. But the church said, that is the wrong way to think about Holy Communion. That is a heresy. Uh, Here's what the Council of Trent said. Holy Communion is the antidote by which we are freed from our daily faults and preserved from mortal sin. 
So hopefully we know, of course, that the very act of receiving Holy Communion forgives our venial sins, and as Trent says, strengthens us to keep us from falling into mortal sin. So what is Holy Communion? Not just food for the perfect, but medicine for sinners, right? St. Ambrose, one of the, the fathers of the church, he says it this way. He says, because I am always sinning, I am always in need of medicine. If I sin daily, I should communicate daily. So uh, that, that really is the, the teaching or the idea of the church. How often should I receive Holy Communion? As often as possible, uh, as uh, long as long as St. Thomas says, you know, it's causing us to grow in love and in reverence for Jesus Christ. That's what the church wants. So this, that's the basic answer to that question. Who should receive Holy Communion? As many people as possible. And how often should we receive communion? As often as possible, as long as it causes us to grow in love and reverence. Okay, but we all know that there are people that the church says should not receive Holy Communion. So what are the rules about that? There are kind of two groups uh, that the church has rules for. First of all, those who uh, are not permitted by the church to receive communion, there's kind of a, like an external law that the church puts down saying, these people cannot receive. On the other hand, uh, there's another group of people who are not permitted not so much by an external law of the church as by an internal law of conscience. So, first of all, those who... Um, are, are not permitted by this external law of the church to receive. Here's a quote from a document called the Didache. This document is from the, the 90s. Not the 1990s, but just the 90s, right? It's really old. And this is what it says. Let no one eat or drink of your Eucharist, but they who have been baptized in the name of the Lord. For concerning this also the Lord has said, Give not that which is holy to the dogs. That last part might seem a little bit blunt for our modern sensibilities, but you get the point. In order to receive Holy Communion, you have got to be one with Christ. This is the, really the first group of people that the church says may not receive communion, those who have not been baptized. Because, of course, you've got to be part of the body of Christ if you're going to receive the body of Christ. So that's fairly straightforward. You have to be a baptized Christian in order to receive Holy Communion. Now, there's a second group of people who the church says are not permitted to receive Holy Communion, and those are other Christians who are not Catholic. So for most of us, that means Protestants, right? Our Protestant brothers and sisters, the church says they're not allowed to receive Holy Communion. We might say, well, why is that? They are baptized. They believe in the same God that we do. They worship Jesus Christ just like we do. So why can't they receive Holy Communion with us? The simple answer to that question is, when we receive Holy Communion, it doesn't simply uh, bring us into a deeper communion with God, with Jesus Christ as the head, but it also brings us into a deeper communion with the church, that is, the Christ body. And uh, so... The sad fact is, we are not in communion 
with our Protestant brothers and sisters, and they are not in communion with us. See, this, this law really goes both directions. They're not permitted to come here and receive Holy Communion, but also, if you go to a Protestant service, like for a wedding or a funeral or some other reason like that, you, as a Catholic, are also not permitted to receive Holy Communion if they offer it at their service. Now, they may say, anyone is allowed to receive Holy Communion here at our church, that's great, but we're telling you you're not allowed, right? That's the law for Catholics. Why? Again, because we are not, sadly, we're not in communion with one another. One of the most obvious ways that we see this is about Holy Communion itself. You know, for most Protestants, uh, the, the, the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion is a symbol of his death, uh, not as we believe, the real presence of his body, blood, soul, and divinity. But now you will find some Protestant groups who say, we believe that the Eucharist really is the body of Christ. So that sounds good. Like on the, on the surface, that sounds like, hey, we believe the same thing. We should be able to uh, get together in our uh, services. But if you go deeper, it's not, sadly. You know, uh, the other year, we had that, those big ecumenical events with the local Lutheran churches because we were uh, having the anniversary of the Reformation. And I asked the Lutheran pastors, it was very interesting, I said, now, in your churches, when you're done with Sunday services, what do you do with your communion hosts? And they said, well, we just throw them away. Because, you know, they, we believe that they really are the body and blood of Christ during church, but after church, they're just bread and wine again. It's the, you know, the, about the faith of the community, see? So that, that sounds on the surface like it's the same, but if you dig deeper, there are these real significant differences in what we actually believe. So, uh, again, that's a sad thing. We should pray and work for the day when all Christians are united again, when we can uh, all receive communion with one another again. But for the time being, we are not in communion with our Protestant brothers and sisters, and so they are not permitted to receive Holy Communion here at our churches. There's one other group of people that the church says by an external law are simply not permitted to receive Holy Communion, and that, that is Catholics who are excommunicated or put under interdict or some other penalty like that, right? So if you've done something really awful and the, the church says, you, we are going to put you under excommunication, which means you're cut off, from the body of Christ, then you can't receive communion or any of the other sacraments of the church. And of course, the church does that as a way of motivating people to change their lives and to return to the right practice of the faith. So those are really the groups of people who are simply not permitted to receive Holy Communion. Uh, any questions about that so far, about anything we've talked about so far? We'll take a couple of questions real quick if anyone has one. Yes, sir. So when someone is excommunicated, does, uh, is that made known publicly? So excommunication is typically made known publicly, yes. It usually has to be an official decree. There are a couple of situations where excommunication happens automatically without a public notification. Uh, probably the most common example of that would be uh, a woman or anyone else who is involved in an abortion. Uh, they are automatically excommunicated. But... Whenever someone is automatically excommunicated like that, you can also have that excommunication lifted by simply going to confession. 
the priest has the power to do that. So uh, if, it's got, if it's a public decree, it's got to be lifted by a public decree. So you would know about it. Everybody would know about it, typically, if somebody was excommunicated like that. Does that answer your question? Yeah. As somebody asked me earlier, uh, how come we don't excommunicate more people? And I don't know the answer to that. There's probably a lot of people out there, politicians, <clears throat> uh, who d- <laughs> deserve to be excommunicated for their own good, right? To, but anyway, that's up to the bishops. So, any other questions? Yes, sir. Um, about the second medication, okay, you say that they're excommunicated. Well, you know, they say, well, that's too, too bad. I'll just receive, receive communion anyhow, you know, so. <laughs> well, yeah, right. So you, you may not be able to stop people from uh, receiving communion when they shouldn't. But, the, uh, again, the, the church lays down these laws. Uh, not because she has police who can go around and control people, right? But as to teach them what is good for their souls, right? So yeah, you're right. I mean, you may not be able to stop people, but uh, God will judge them on the last day. They have to answer to Him. Well, I mean, if uh, somebody's excommunicated, I think that they're, you know, they're going to uh, have uh, some serious talking with the. <laughs> yes, they will have some serious talks with God if they're excommunicated. Yes, ma'am. I know that I understand the communion and the understanding, like, you don't want somebody coming here that really doesn't have a true understanding that that's the actual body and blood of Christ. But if they've been told that, and they kind of believe it, but they're not, they haven't, they're not Catholic, and they partake, I sometimes feel like that is, God still gives graces, and maybe that's a way of Him working on them and communing with them and giving them the opportunity to grow strong in a faith that will draw them into this faith. But if they don't have that opportunity, they may never um, develop that, or it may not be developed. So I, I kind of sometimes think, we sh- if it's what God wants for all of us, why aren't they welcome here to receive it? I can see why we shouldn't in other churches, because we recognize that's not truly the body and blood of Christ, but here it is and all are welcome. Well, okay, that's a fair point, but uh, what we would say for those people uh, who maybe um, do have some kind of a a belief about the Eucharist and they come here, and uh, are they receiving the grace of the Eucharist uh, even though they're not Catholic? Like, uh, the Catholic Church's uh, belief about that or understanding of that is you, we want you to have the right understanding of the sacraments in order to really receive them well. So does God uh, decide to give people grace in certain situations, even though they're doing what they shouldn't be doing? I mean, only God can answer that question. I'm sure that he is always merciful and loving. But as a policy, we're not going to say people can come here with the wrong understanding of communion and receive it, right? We want them first to have the right understanding, then receive it. So, all right, let's move on. The second group of people here who uh, the church says shouldn't receive communion are those who really shouldn't receive communion because of an internal law of conscience. So let me read you this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. St. Paul says to the Corinthians, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily will have to answer for the body and blood of the Lord. A person should examine himself and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are ill and infirm, and a considerable number are dying. 
So St. Paul says there are people in your community who are sick and dying. Why? Because they are receiving Holy Communion unworthily. That's a pretty serious thing uh, he points out. So who are those people who uh, should not receive Holy Communion because it's really not healthy? They're not able to receive it in a healthy way. First of all, those of us who are in mortal sin, right? The Catechism says anyone who desires to receive Christ in Eucharistic communion must be in the state of grace. Anyone aware of having sinned mortally must not receive communion without having received absolution in the sacrament of penance. You just can't receive the grace of Holy Communion if you are cut off by mortal sin. Now, the good news about that is it is not real hard in any way to be forgiven from your mortal sins. All you got to do is be sorry and go to confession. So that's why we try and make uh, confession as available as possible to people uh, before Mass on Sundays is can go and be prepared to receive Holy Communion. Now, we all recognize that there are those situations where it's not so simple, where people are kind of stuck in an uh, unusual position. People who are um, divorced and then remarried outside of the church. Or maybe you have a job that causes you to do something immoral. A kind of extreme example might be like working at an abortion uh, mill or something like that. Or maybe you are contracepting, but you're not just like taking the pill. Maybe you have one of those like medically uh, in, inserted devices, you know, that stays inside your body for a certain period of time. So those are situations where you can't just change your behavior at the drop of a hat necessarily. And uh, so what about those people? That, I think that's a real problem that we all kind of know is there, but nobody really knows what to do with. Now, unfortunately, a lot of those people just stop coming to Mass. Uh, or, uh, you know, they may come to Mass, but they feel uh, that if they just sit in the pew during communion, people will look at them and judge them. So maybe they get up and come to communion, and maybe they're making sacrilegious communions because they're just too embarrassed to do anything else. Now, uh, you know, I have met plenty of people in my life who have been in this situation and have chosen, sometimes for years, to come to Mass on Sundays and not receive Holy Communion. And I think some of those people have a greater devotion and, and faith and love for Jesus than some of the rest of us do, you know, because they're really living what they believe about the Eucharist, even if their life is not perfectly in harmony with God. So kudos to them. But we do need to be aware of these people who are kind of stuck in this position. What's the right thing to do for those people to, to make them feel like they can come here to church and not be judged? I don't know. You know, I mean... I'll make a suggestion at the end, but I, I just think it's a, a problem that we should all be aware of and do our very best to help those people feel like they are part of our community, even though they shouldn't receive Holy Communion. The, the last group of people here who, uh, by this kind of law of conscience, shouldn't receive Communion, uh, listen to this quote from St. Alphonsus Liguori. He's one of the great moral teachers of the Church. He says this, it is an error to grant Holy Communion to those who frequently fall into serious sin and show no inclination to repent or amend their ways, or to those who receive Holy Communion despite their attachment to deliberate venial sin without any effort on their part to avoid them. What's he saying there? Not just if you're in mortal sin, but even if you're just committing a venial sin, like you're staying up every night eating a half gallon of ice cream or something like that, right? But it's deliberate. You plan to do it. You don't have any remorse about doing it. You're not planning on changing your life. 
right? That is a deliberate venial sin. And St. Alphonsus says, is your heart really in the right place to be inviting the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, into at this time? No, he says. You know, again, go back to that uh, definition by St. Thomas Aquinas. We should receive Holy Communion if it's helping us grow in faith or in, in love and reverence. But if it's, if it's not, then there's something wrong with our hearts. And he says, or St. Alphonsus is suggesting, maybe we need to refrain from communion until we are ready to go. Now, again, that's not hard. All you got to do is change your heart. Repent, right? That's why at the beginning of every Mass, we have that moment. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers, right? We have that opportunity to change our hearts and to repent. So it's not hard. We just have to do it. And, you know, St. Alphonsus goes on to say, it's not a bad thing, even if we haven't committed any sins, every once in a while, to just not receive communion for the sake of thinking about what a great gift Holy Communion is, to really appreciate and desire communion in a new way. So... I'll leave you with this. I don't know if this is a great idea or not, but uh, going back to those people who are stuck in mortal sin for a certain period of their life, you know, what it would happen if, you know, there's 52 Sundays in the year. What if uh, one or two Sundays a year, each of us decided, I'm not going to go to communion this Sunday as a way of really appreciating the gift of the Eucharist, focusing on that. What would happen is people would no longer be able to tell why somebody was sitting in the pew, whether they were in mortal sin or whether they were trying to grow in their devotion to the Eucharist, and they couldn't judge them anymore. And maybe that would make people feel more welcome, uh, like they can come to church even if they're not able to go to communion. I don't know if that's the right thing to do or not, but I just throw it out there as an idea because St. Alphonsus says this can be a way that we grow in love of Holy Communion. So, any questions about that section of it? Yes, ma'am. How many times are you required to receive communion a year? You are strictly required to receive Holy Communion once a year during the Easter season. That is the only requirement that the, the church lays down about communion. But she says, go a lot. That's the, the real attitude. Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Just because you're divorced, that does not prohibit you from receiving communion. It's only if you're divorced and then remarried without an annulment, right? There was a time way back, uh, decades and decades ago, where ex you were excommunicated if you got divorced. That was because the culture was very different and divorce was understood in a different way by the, the people of that day and age. But that is no longer the case. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. I thank you all for your questions, for your attention. Hopefully this has been beneficial as far as your own understanding about the reception of communion. Hopefully this will allow you to explain it better to others as well. Most of all, by growing in our knowledge and understanding of our faith, that should allow us to grow in our love for Jesus Christ. Immaculate Heart of Mary.